This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Your doctor or healthcare provider probably doesn't know this either. Now, I created the Menopause Movement to help women just like you decrease the suffering that menopause can cause. And the Menopause Movement provides world-class transformational education to help women make menopause the best time of their lives. And we've opened up a free video workshop for you to help you make menopause the best time of your life. Simply go to menopausemovement.com forward slash workshop to sign up. Today, we welcome Dr. Wendy Lee White to the podcast. Dr. White is a licensed naturopath and non-diet HAES nutritionist. She takes a nature cure approach to prevention and healing in her clinical practice, teaching and speaking. She has maintained a clinical practice since 2008 and taught at the graduate level since 2016. In 2020, she was inducted in the Portland Monthly's Top Doctors Naturopath category. Her aim is to empower every one of her patients, clients, students, especially those in larger bodies, to understand the interconnected systems of your body and its specific needs. In this way, you learn to tune into the signals your body is telling you. Only then can you give it what it needs to heal, thrive, and to learn how to not follow your family's medical footprint. Building from a nature cure philosophy, which is food, water, air, movement, relationships, Dr. White specializes in developing personalized lifestyle plans that align to your unique genetic makeup and lifestyle. She enjoys coaching people who are needing support with allergies, digestive issues like irritable bowel syndrome, diarrhea, constipation, and their relationship with food. Despite her full schedule of patient care and university teaching, the times that Dr. White is most passionate is when she is speaking to groups about the body's innate ability to heal itself and keep itself in balance when supported appropriately. During the podcast, we talk about what is a naturopath, naturopath versus traditional doctors, Dr. White's philosophy in approaching patient care, her perspective on weight loss, the importance of trusting your body, the role stress plays in getting healthy, her top tips to improving sleep, how to check in with your body, the basic foundation of food, the importance of homeostasis, and stay to the end to find out the foundation of naturopathic essentials and how to reclaim faith in your body. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in this episode. And if you enjoy the episode, don't forget, subscribe on YouTube and like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. And thanks for all the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a five-star review yet or any review, I don't know what you're waiting for. Please take the time to review the podcast because this helps it to get up and rank, help more women to find it during the disruption of menopause because no one should have to go it alone. Thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Dr. White. Welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm happy to have you here, and you are the first naturopath to come onto my show, so oh, I'm, I'm super, super <laughs> excited to have you here. 
And I think the very first thing I really want to hear about, because I've had, I'm an osteopath. I, I went to osteopathic medical school. I had Dr. Michelle Veneziano on who does functional medicine and she does osteopathic manipulation. And so we talked a lot about the difference between MD and DO. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that happens with the naturopaths is you get told that you're doing a lot of pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think before we do anything, let's talk about the difference between what a naturopath does and what traditional medicine does. Yeah. So going to naturopathic school is medical school. We are acknowledged as physicians. The difference legislatively is that we are only licensed to practice as physicians in about 28 states or so. And our scope of practice varies within those states. So for example, I'm in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And my scope of practice is that I'm licensed to be a primary care doctor. I'm licensed to do minor surgery, prescribe and manage medications, inject, draw blood, all that. And where I practiced in Connecticut for the first eight years of my practice, I was licensed really as a naturopathic specialist. And so my scope of practice was more minimal. Mm. So that's it. That's the difference from like the legislative standpoint. From the philosophical standpoint, really naturopathic doctors believe that the body is amazing and that it has the ability to heal itself, to keep itself in balance. The key is when supported appropriately. So we look at the world we live in and it can be overstimulating, overtoxic. We can make poor choices quite easily that work against us. And so naturopathic medicine is about designing your life so that your body's brilliance can shine through. And do you take insurance? Many of us do. Um, Some of us choose not to. And even in the states where we are unlicensed providers, most of them at that point are cash practice. But in states where we are licensed as physicians, we can be out of network reimbursement or, um, or within network. Yeah. And it depends. In Connecticut, I was out of network for eight years and I liked being half lifestyle coach, half counselor, half nutritionist, which I know are three halves, but you get the gist. <laughs> um, and here in Oregon, I have taken insurance for the last almost five years mm-hmm. and I'm just now transitioning back to a cash practice. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. So <laughs> the problem with medicine and, and, you know, I have a global audience, but the problem with medicine in America is that it's all, it's all set up so that the insurance companies make all the money and they keep the money. Absolutely. And with my surgical practice, I had, you know, we were out of network and the lawyers in Albany, I'm in New York and the lawyers mm-hmm. in Albany just, they just legislated us right out of business. Yeah. And there are surgeons do a lot of emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people come into the ER, they have appendicitis, they have gallbladder issues, they have perforated colons, you know, that kind of thing. They don't have and, time to have the insurance discussion. Well, it's not, yeah, no, it's not just about that. But, and, and I didn't mean to get into a medicine <laughs> talk, but, you know, when you're talking about business, right, in business, you know, you, you even lawyers, you know, they, you have to pay them up front and any business has predictable cash flow. You know, generally after you get it going, it's a machine that produces money. And the the weird thing about medicine in America, especially when you're doing emergencies, is that you take care of the person who's sick and then three months to yeah. seven years to 20 years later, you might get paid. And so it's a really, it's a horrible business model, but it's really great for the insurance companies because they're getting paid no matter what, because you got to pay the premiums. And what's really interesting is looking at what's happened in America with 
the increasing healthcare costs, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at the the rise of like like how many doctors are there, and it's pretty steady across the board. Mm-hmm. And then you see the rising healthcare costs and and the number of administrators that have come in and bloated everything out. And there's probably 20 administrators for every doctor now. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really sad to see yeah. that happen. And and it's a difficult place where where we are here in America. Maybe at some point, you know, we'll be able to defeat the the insurance lobby, and we'll be able to go and and maybe <laughs> and do do a do a real you know socialized medicine. But until then, you know, we just we just won't. And it's not a place for an entrepreneur anymore. You know, you no. want to be a cog in a machine, you can do that. Yeah, right. And the naturopathic doctors who do well financially really do fall under the medical model of insurance. They have shorter visits. They have higher turnover. And for those of us who choose not to take insurance, you know, my first office visit is 75 to 90 minutes long. Sure. My return office visits are 45 to 60. And it's just so incredibly difficult to get reimbursed for that time. And mm-hmm. I'm not willing to negotiate on that time. I want the relationships with my patients. I want the those little tidbits of, I don't know if this is related, but like they're always the best statements because that really clues me into the global picture of the person. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're still doing, but basically one-on-one, right? With your patients and. Correct. Yeah. I've done short-term group programs. I have another group program that's launching in April and I have some online courses. Mm -hmm. My, my preference would be to do much more group work and less one-on-one because honestly, this is lifestyle. This is peer support. This is hard to swim upstream when you're surrounded by other decision makers. The trick is to, is to not practice medicine uh, Mm -hmm. while you're doing it. And, Mm -hmm. and when, when you're used to telling people what to do as a doctor with that authority, it's an interesting shift. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm playing with naturopathic health coach, naturopathic lifestyle, something, you know, something to, again, like you say, get away from that practicing medicine doctor one-on-one. Right. Yeah. So like in my program, I talk about science and I give options for supplements, mm-hmm. but I don't recommend really. I will be because we're going to have our own supplement line. I'm super excited about that. Fabulous. But right now, you know, the whole idea is to show everyone that suffering is optional mm-hmm. in menopause and, you know, move people away from mental misery, the mental mate way. Mental and that's, misery, I love it. Yeah, it is. It's mental misery. I mean, it, we, we do, you know, have you, are you in menopause or anywhere near menopause yet? I am beginning to feel the shift. Yeah, the shift. <laughs> yeah, so so it's really interesting because you know one of the things that women complain about in menopause, the number one thing, is weight gain. Mm-hmm. Weight gain, you know, and then and then they look in the mirror like, I, who, what happened to my body? Who am I? I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah. And so we we address that. Gone. Yeah, exactly. It looks like like why don't my clothes fit anymore? And how come I'm eating the same and moving and and my weight won't shift? And I'm sure you hear that. So what what is your number one tip that you give women when it comes to weight loss? I don't do weight loss. You don't I talk to say, them about weight loss at all? I say trust the body. And as your body is shifting, if you are continuing to do all the things that support you, relationships, movement, minimal chemical exposure, nervous system support, nourishing foods that work for you, If your body shifts, 
then trust that there's a purpose for that. Mm, that's nice. And it's not what a lot of people want to hear. Not everybody is meant to work with me. I definitely have more of a weight neutral approach where I just trust the brilliance of the body, whether your body needs more fat cells to support the lack of estrogen production in your ovaries or whatever the, the science is behind it. Mm-hmm. I trust that the body has brilliance and it knows what it's doing. No, that's great. What I think when we get like stuck in a goal, mm-hmm. I need to lose a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. And then we start to judge ourselves around that goal rather than just be living our lives. Right. Because the time's going to pass anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're feeling well, if you're able to do and participate in your life in the way that you want, the weight is a number. And so if someone's coming to me postmenopausal or otherwise and says, you know, I want to lose weight. My comment is, you know what, let's move you towards health through your movement, your relationships, your chemical exposure, your nervous system, your nourishment. And as you move towards health, your weight will do what your weight will do because your body's brilliant. It knows what it needs. It knows how to function when supported appropriately. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is okay that they are 10, 20, 50 pounds more than they think they should be. And that's the challenge is that mental emotional piece. Sure. Well, you're never going to, you're never going to get, I mean, I have friends who help people what they say, lose the weight between the years, mm-hmm. because you're never going to get to where you are until you change your mindset. Mm-hmm. And n- people don't like to hear that. No. You know, you're not, you're never going to get to where it is you want to be, but you have to become somebody else. Mm-hmm. You have to become that person. I always like to say that, you know, the person who loses a hundred pounds, you, you, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens in a decision mm-hmm. to be somebody different. Mm-hmm. And then that person starts taking action. Yeah. And, and it's that action, it's that day-to-day habit creation that's yeah, the most important. Right. And behavior change is hard. And mm-hmm. we think that, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we're always talking, thinking about, like, I want to change this, I want to change that. And then we all end up falling back into our old habits. Like, I want to get up at 5 a.m. So I do it for three days in a row, and then I'm really tired, and I stay I, <laughs> I stay in bed until late, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing about behavior change that's really important, and I want the audience to to hear this, is that behavior change takes between it's not 3 weeks you you know you hear these these stories about about you know changing a habit takes 3 weeks that's not true it takes 90 to 365 days to actually make meaningful changes in your life and it's with intention and you're going to have setbacks and you're going to be going forward and you're going to be going backward and it is it it's messy it's just yes. really messy yeah i often equate it to our def- default patterns being groomed cross country ski trails really easy to stay in. If we're on autopilot, that's where we go. That doesn't mean we can't veer off and create a new path. Our nervous system can do it. We can do it in the snow. It's tough that first time, but then it gets easier and easier and easier. And then it snows and the old pattern gets filled in and this new pattern becomes the default, but it does take time. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot of time. Absolutely. Yeah. So you are the non-diet doctor. I am. So, I mean, that must be refreshing though. Some people, who, when, you know, we're not for everyone, right? Like I know no. my, my approach is not for everyone nope. and I'm, I'm like really blunt and I'm going to tell it like it is. And mm-hmm. that's fine. You know, because if, if there's plenty of menopause coaches out there, there's plenty of people teaching menopause. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not the only one, which right. is great. So same thing with you. I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I really want to lose weight and you say, 
I really want you to accept your body. (laughs) (laughs) Often it's too big of a disconnect, but sometimes we can talk about, so they come into my office and I really want to lose weight and they've been on these diets and they've been, their weight has been up and down their entire lives. My emphasis is how stressed have you been? It's really not possible to be healthy because I believe health is mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. It's not possible to be healthy if you're full of anxiety, unable to be nourished, and your nervous system is just acting as if there's a tiger in the corner of the room. So when someone comes and says, you know, I've I've been dieting in the past, I just want to lose weight, this is the conversation we have of let's just take the pressure off. Let's talk about how sleep affects metabolism and how uh, ghrelin is one of the hormones that regulate hunger and satiety, and it's regulated during sleep. So let's take the pressure off like fighting what you're eating. Let's talk about, hey, if we improve the quality and quantity of your sleep, you feel as though you're more in control of the choices you're making. You feel as though you're not having to battle. So that sleep piece is one example, but we look at sleep movement and all of the other things. And so it's not that I'm saying that we aren't setting guidelines as far as the non-diet approach goes. Right. But rather than having the emphasis on external rules like a diet would be, mm -hmm. we really put it back on, well, how is your body responding to X, Y, or Z? It's a lot of reflection. It's a lot of quiet time. Many people don't know how to check in with their bodies. And often I think, you know, oh, what's your gut telling you? So many of us are so disconnected from our gut and our pelvis that we don't have that ability. So I'll say, hey, how's your left piggy toe doing? Hey, can you tune into your left shoulder? Can you feel the fabric on it? Can you feel that there's tension? Can you know? And so we just explore checking in with the body in kind of less emotionally charged areas. And then once they get the hang of it, then we kind of say, okay, let's let's go to the gut. Let's see what your body is, what information your body has to tell you. That's great. So, you know, one thing that that I like to talk about is how our emotions are like the beacon to where we're going in our life. And if it doesn't feel good, it probably isn't something that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a difference between feel good and comfort zone. Nice. And so, I've, I'm not going to tell anyone that that it's, you know, it, you want to stay comfortable because oftentimes you're going to get the best results when you're just a little bit scared. But in <laughs> a little bit uncomfortable. That's what changing habits yeah. does. But at the same time, you want to feel, you know, you want to feel a little stretched, but you also want to feel like like some anticipation and joy about it. So, if it's, if it's feeling super heavy, like there's a big, you know, weight down, then, you know, you got to look at that. But I want to just go back. I want to kind of unpack something. You talk about improving sleep. And the first thing that came to my mind was like, yeah, well, you know, menopause, you know, I wake up 12 times a night and, you know, not only do I have to pee and, you know, if you want to understand a little bit more about like how to stop peeing so much at night, go and watch my podcast with Dr. Vedeziano on the healing power of the tongue. Cause we talk about how to, you know, taping your mouth and the things that can happen mm-hmm. when you do that. But so there's this whole like connection between brain fog and sleep. Mm-hmm. And in menopause, women get the lack of estrogen, you know, makes our brains kind of go a little bit crazy. And so then we get these racing thoughts and we try to go to sleep and our brains just. Mm-hmm. And so what I think the audience would really love 
would be what what are your like top three tips to get either either get to sleep quickly and have a restful sleep or to get back to sleep when insomnia starts strikes when it's kicked in yeah. yeah so first two are a form of hydrotherapy and so hydrotherapy is using water or temperature to help drive circulation in or out of a certain area. And when we are in our safety state, our rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system, really that's when circulation is in our core, our liver, our digestion, our immune system. So castor oil to the belly at night, um, really in the evening before beds for about a half hour, can help draw circulation to the core, which helps the body switch towards parasympathetic nervous system. Does that taste awful? Oh, it's not oral. It's topical. Castor Uh, oil to the topical belly. Yeah. Orally induces diarrhea and it's not very friendly to the body. This is topical only. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) Um, I would never drink it. Yeah, no, it just means that you're applying castor oil from your bra line to your hip bones, the whole rectangle, and then you snuggle with a hot water bottle for a half hour. It draws circulation to your core. By going over your right lower rib cage, you're increasing circulation to your liver. So you're going to increase the products of detoxification and clearance. Mm -hmm. And most people find that they will sleep not only a longer duration, but a deeper sleep and a higher quality sleep when they do castor oil in the evenings. So where do you get castor oil? Any grocery store. Even here in Portland, we have, you know, even in the Safeways and Fred Meyers and natural grocers, they'll have it in the in the pharmacy area. Again, not for oral, just for topical. Yeah. It is a mild irritant. And so when it soaks into the skin, it increases circulation wherever you put it. And, you know, kind of linking back to your comment before about science-based, there's quite not an abundance of research on topical castor oil use, but enough that it's supported scientifically. And I kind of blend science with folk and I trust history and I trust science to merge. Yeah, um, that's number one is the castor oil to the belly in the evenings with a with a hot water bottle with a hot water bottle or a heating pad. But I like to not oh. be plugged in. I like the coziness of the hot water bottle. Sure. That just opens your pores and allow the castor oil to get in more easily. Mm-hmm. The second is warming socks, which is another hydrotherapy option. Now, when I uh-uh. do, you know, warming socks? No, but I can't stand socks. I can't yeah. wear socks at night. No way. And that is, that is the one population for whom this does not work. And <laughs> In the beginning of my career, my mother-in-law made a funny joke of, oh, when do I wave the dead chicken over my head? Because she thought it was so woo-woo to think about doing this. But I told her she couldn't knock it till she tried it. And now she's a believer. So warming socks is you start with warm feet. You get cotton, white cotton ankle socks wet with cold tap water, and you wring them out really well. So they're cold and they're wet, but they're not super drippy. You put the cold socks on your nice warm feet. Hang in. Don't, don't knock it yet. I'm and not. Cover them with if, wool if, socks if you're you watching the video, you see my face, but if you're, <laughs> if you're listening, I'm making a real like icky face because like putting wet on my feet at night is I know, like, I, I'm, I'm cringing. Tough. It okay. sounds tough, but here's the physiology. When you're warm, your vasculature is open. Right. When you put those cold socks on, everything goes and constricts and pushes blood up. Again, passing it through your core, activating some parasympathetic nervous system. All night long, that vascular pump happens. You wake in the morning and your feet and your socks are warm and dry. 
And again, because we are increasing circulation, you're increasing detoxification, you're increasing your ability to filter your immune system to pay attention. And most people, other than those who cannot sleep with anything on their feet, most people find that they actually sleep quite well when they do warming socks. It's also used to drain congestion from the head because every time the vasculature opens, it helps to drain circulation down to the feet. So it's used kind of like, oh, I think I'm getting sick. Let me do warming socks for a couple of nights, but it's excellent for postmenopausal sleep. Um, so those okay. are my two. Um, <laughs> it sounds it sounds like an old wives' tale to me. It works. It honestly works. And, All right, and listen. If you're listening to this and you take and you try it, I want to I want to comment. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to comment on the. There's a place to comment on the menopausemovement.com forward slash blog where where we hope where we store the podcast, and you can put a comment there and let me know. Yeah, and those of you who do try it, please do let her know because it works. Mm-hmm. And I've been practicing for. 13 and a half years now. And yeah. it's, it's really one of my tried and true go-tos that really does have. An so impact. if you're, if you're awake in the middle of the night, you're saying to just like do this weird cotton thing with socks, do it before bed, not in the middle of the night, do okay. it to set yourself up right before bed. And for the middle of the night waking, yeah. two comments, one, never look at the clock and two, find an audio that you like that is either visualization or progressive relaxation or following the breath, you know, whatever works for whatever individual. But those are the best when you can have something that you can really focus on to take that emphasis away from the chaos that might be happening in your head and really give yourself a point focus. I I like that idea. And every once in a while, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll start listening to an audio book. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's something I'm really interested in. Like I'm, I'm currently listening to one of Brene Brown's books, which is fantastic. And so I'm like, oh, this is really good. And I wake up, right? But then Audio, Audible also has these books, like Tony Shalhoub reading about the history of mathematics. And it's just such a drone. And then there's like this Voltaire piece, which is a whole <laughs> bunch of measurements of somebody's head. And it's <laughs> and so the other night That's I was great. listening to that. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, this is really boring. <sighs> Which is fabulous because I can totally see getting into the Brene Brown book and then that's going to decrease the likelihood I'm going to go back to sleep, right? Yeah. Get something boring on there. Perfect. Tony Shalhoub reading reading the history of mathematics. Well, back in 18, you know, or, you know, whatever, (laughs) the the, the Greeks and Pythagoras, the Pythagorean theory, blah, blah. So... (laughs) Yeah, but when I was really struggling, the better visualizations. And then I use Insight Timer a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's there's one called Yoga Nidra for sleep. And there's a lot of Yoga Nidras, but the one that's the most popular is the one that I use. And it's just great. I'll use it on an airplane if I need to sleep on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know what she's doing in there, but I, I've never made it through the whole meditation. I always end up falling asleep. So that's awesome. So you've got this health at every size philosophy. We've talked about that a little bit. And I think it's important if you are, let's say you're a menopausal woman and, you know, you're not feeling that great and you're seeing you're you're having a lot of symptoms, you know, you're carrying extra weight, whatever, and you Mm -hmm. smoke, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing we have to do is say, let's stop smoking. And, and whatever consequence comes from that, if you gain 50 pounds, if you, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. that carrying around extra weight is better better than putting that toxic ember in your mouth every day, you know, multiple times. Okay. So when I was operating as a surgeon and people would come to me for hernia repairs and they smoked, 
I, I'd say, listen, if you're smoking, I won't operate on you. I just won't because the, you know, the likelihood of, of you having a occurrence is much higher, but you can go find some other surgeon who will operate on you. And mm-hmm. people who had maybe, you know, colostomies. So for the audience, that's a, we, we do a colostomy or an ostomy when it's the safest thing to do. So oftentimes if somebody comes in with a perforation of their gut somewhere, we have to bring the gut out through the skin. And if they were a smoker, I never, I wouldn't reverse them. I said, we're going to do a nicotine test. And if the nicotine test is positive, I can't do it because the height that there's like higher chances of, of recurrence. And that was a personal belief. And, and there are plenty of surgeons who would do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, go, go to somebody else. That's fine. But I really have this whole, you know, we want to believe the government, right? <laughs> we want to believe the government. I mean, and, and we can it's get a into a whole nutrition. nother conversation. We can get into nutrition in a little bit. I mean, I, I actually had Kate, um, Dr. Kate Shanahan on the podcast and, and she's coming back and we were just talking about deep nutrition and, and the fat burn fix. And, you know, that those are that just some amazing stuff. But what, you know, you think about like what happened with tobacco and how tobacco is this really great product used in a certain way. And the way it was always used was very, very spiritual, right? Ceremonially. Yeah. And then it wasn't like a a habit. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, we saw the addictive potential and then, you know, because America is the home of the corporation and the land of the profit, Mm -hmm. that's what happened. So we started recommending things, you know, doctors were smoking saying, oh, these are the best cigarettes. (laughs) How relaxing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Same thing with with sugar, right? And we know we know sugar is just deadly and horrible. And so as we grow up and start to realize that the government really doesn't have our best interests at heart, they have the best interests of the lobby that's giving them the most money. Mm-hmm. It's important for us to really kind of sift through the information and say what is best for us. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like Dr. Kate so much because you know, seed oils, manufactured oils, are specifically very, very toxic. And if you do nothing else, if you're already off cigarettes, <laughs> and even if you aren't, the seed oils are are probably what's causing g- this generation that's coming up, you know, now to have a lifespan that's shorter than the one before, which is sad. If you think about from a from a food perspective, if you think about really trying to emphasize foods that grandparents, great grandparents would recognize. And really like that's just the basic foundation. And I do want to say that I don't believe we have to be perfect in that. I believe that we do have resiliency. We do have livers to detoxify. We do have kind of that homeostatic balance. When we swing one side, our body has the ability to bring us to center if we're not too far to one side. And so if we can make minimally process choices most of the time, I think that's what we need to do. I don't think it has to be 100%. I can never eat X, Y, or Z. But but I do think that it is good practice to say the food. And so I, I have a master's in food science. I was in the food science industry before I became a naturopathic doctor and got <laughs> a second master's of nutrition. Let food be um, thy medicine. Yeah. yeah or thy yeah. poison. And I rarely use poison or toxic because those polarizing terms can very often feed that anxiety that people come to me with, right? And so we do have conversations about the fact that we are designed to eat real food. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we have to not vary from that at all. But if most of the time when presented with the choice, we can choose the minimally processed minimally refined because you know those vegetable seed oils you were talking about 
If you think about the amount of processing required to extract oil from corn, you understand that that's not something that naturally occurred at that quantity for our biology. Yeah, no, that that's great. So what I loved what you said there is that you don't have to get it perfect. No. And one thing is, is when we say, you know, you can never have this again, right? What do we want to do? We just, all we do is focus on just like, this is what you can, you know? And so I've been on this experiment Mm -hmm. of, for the last like 35 days of eating my body weight and protein. Mm-hmm. because it's, it's something I'd never done before. And, and mm-hmm. it isn't a diet, it's just a different way of eating. And it's been really interesting to see myself doing this and 10 pounds down, you know, and I feel really good. I have, but, but moving to a fat burn state from a, from a more of a carb burn state was a little bit difficult, mm-hmm. I will say. But the thing is, is that if I said to myself, you're never going to have a cookie again, Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing I would think about is cookies. Absolutely. And and so usually when I do something like this, I give myself a, a an end date. Either it's either mm-hmm. an end date or it's a date where I can just go and do whatever I want. Be more flexible. And what we have is is uh it's it's really funny. We're in the pandemic and the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, we're so isolated in the pandemic and mm-hmm. and we have a bubble of people that are in the house. We have a, a trainer and, and we've got a nurse practitioner my wife works with. And and so every Friday night we get together and it's gotten us through the pandemic. It's you know, we get we get together and and we all get tested and so we're not spreading. And it's a very small bubble. There's like six of us and we get together, we have dinner and it's been, it's been the savior of the pandemic for us. And I can see, you know, I had, I had this like realization, maybe a little epiphany a few weeks ago where I was like, you know, I got super emotional because like this is this is this community is what's getting us through. We're all, you know, we're all like doing it. But eating, we we get together and we eat. Mm-hmm. So so there's so many emotions that are tied to eating, and this is what I'm trying to get back to uh, mm-hmm. health at every size. And for me, it's like the Friday nights is the time where I can have I can just like go off plan a little bit. Mm-hmm. And my son's birthday falls on a Friday and he wants to have fried chicken and waffles. Mm. And so when that day, so I'm thinking ahead to that day, that's the day that, uh, that I'll be able to have, you know, a little bit extra. So that, but, but that's always, it's like mindset hacks, right? Mm -hmm. To, to, to get yourself going as you, as you make changes. And it's always interesting to me when someone knows that a food is an irritant for them, whether it's a single food or a category, If they know it's an irritant for them, it's always interesting to me. My question is, why do you continue to choose to eat that knowing that you don't feel well? And that right there is the deepest root cause of their imbalance. Right. And it's not about the food. It's about the mindset. Why do you continue to make choices that that aren't working for you that you've made the connection and you're choosing anyway? That right there is the deep. Well, I think I think it comes down to awareness, right? Because it was for the longest time I was depressed and I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And we went out to New York City for a weekend and I realized, you know, we went out and and you know, went to some of the nice restaurants and and ate. I realized we got back 2 days later and I was like really depressed. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, and I said, okay, why do I feel this way? And I looked at what I was eating and I had eaten a bunch of fried food. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And, you know, it was really easy for me. So, so one thing that's, that's hard for us to like to put together the foods that we think are what make us feel good in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then our feelings later on, because it takes time for the food to make it through our bodies. 
right? It was easy for me to say, I don't like smoking pot because I hate the way that stuff makes me feel. That was easy, right? I, I smoke pot. I feel gross. I have to go to sleep. I get paranoid. It's not for me. All right. Easy. End of story. Very, yeah, right. Yeah. It's super easy. Yeah. And I, then I had to apply that same thing to drinking. But see, with drinking, it was delayed. It's like, I feel good in the moment. And then I drink too much and I say dumb things. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I feel like crap and, and it affects my exercise performance. Okay. Easy. Don't quality. Right. Don't drink. Fine. Made that, made that connection. But with food, it's a little bit different. And so ever since I started this, this whole like protein thing, you know, we will have, we'll have a French fry sometimes on our Friday nights. And last Friday night they had French fries and I had one, just one. It tasted gross. I mean, it was like, it was like kitchen grease gross. And so, and so what's happening is I'm, I'm starting to pay more attention to it, but there's also emotions that are tied to food. Like, like I realized when I started looking at how food made me feel, I realized that every time I ate a chip, I thought about my father. And I'm talking about like potato chips for those mm-hmm. of you who are in the UK. I'm not talking about French fries. French fries. So every time I ate a chip and, and any bag that I would open, because we had, we'd go on these trips, these across the world and you know, across the country driving trips. And my father would stay awake by eating chips and whatever. And so he'd make a lot of crackling noises and whatnot. And that's how I would remember, you know, I, and I would just always, he introduced me to potatoes. And, and so those, those are some things. So it was really easy for me once I realized that there was a trigger there to say, oh, I want chips, but really I want my dad. Yeah. And so then I can honor his memory through right. that. How else can I feel connected with him? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there is a lot of emotion around food. And I don't think that that is a bad thing. I think with mindfulness comes, oh, I'm eating for comfort. What else might I need? Oh, I'm eating because I'm anxious. What else might I need? And, and I don't think that we should never eat for emotion. Sometimes eating is what I need right now. And I encourage patients to find other ways to meet their emotional needs in addition to food. Food is one way. It was very comforting to breastfeed as a child. We learned really early on nourishing was nourishing not just on physical level, yeah. but on mental emotional as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But we sometimes, because of the automatic thoughts, the automatic subconscious programming that we have, we're not aware. And so, like you said, mindfulness, just giving yourself permission to have some awareness around like, why am I eating this? And how is this really making me feel? Because like, there are certain things that I'll eat, then I'll feel gross afterwards. And I'm like, oh, ew. Yeah, I don't want to eat that, that again. Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and so there's a great question that I like to ask myself, which is what caused me to choose to do XYZ? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's all, it's all comes back to my own choices and my own behavior. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to, to go back to is this, this notion of homeostasis, because menopausal women are fed this line of bullshit from supplement industries and from the, and, and from the pharmaceutical industry that their hormones are imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And I think there couldn't be anything further from the truth that, that it's not a matter of balancing your hormones. It's a matter of making friends with your body. Mm-hmm. And, and we are in, you know, we're in a constant, I mean, our body's job is to keep homeostasis. It's the same thing that, you know, comes from the bullshit talking about 
alkaline versus acidic stuff. I mean, our body is going to keep our pH at a certain stuff at level. And, and, you know, if it goes, if it changes by 0.1, we're in the ICU. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, alkaline versus acidic is, is like the, one of the biggest myths ever. And then the other one I think is it comes, comes to thinking about menopause as a hormone imbalance. Right. And so how do you manage that? We're not meant to have the hormones of a 30-year-old or a 25-year-old. Just like when we were 12, we had changing hormones as we entered puberty. Like right. we, we are dynamic creatures. And so I don't believe that we as women need, whether it's bioidentical or, or synthetic hormones, after we go through menopause. I don't believe that we have anything that has to be fixed. I think we can support the transition. We can support our detoxification through the liver because if our livers are overwhelmed by all of the crazy environmental toxins that we're exposed to, I think that we can support the body to transition. But I don't think there's anything that has to be fixed. I think it's just, again, that mindset of adjusting to, oh, this is how I am after menopause. Just like right. we had to adjust, this is how we were entering through puberty. This oh, is how I, I am when press. I'm pregnant. You know, right. Like yeah. <laughs> we are dynamic creatures and yeah. that doesn't change ever. Yeah, I, I love that. So when, when it comes to thinking about menopause, a lot of women tend to think that it's a medical condition. Mm -hmm. And we're sold this bill of goods because of, again, America being the land of the corporation and the home of the profit. Mm -hmm. And profit, you know, comes when people buy stuff. And so the supplement industry, you know, is billions and billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions, I, I do believe, probably maybe hundreds by now, trying to deal with, with these symptoms. Now, now the symptoms are very real and it's not in our minds. And if it happened to men, there, if there would be a solution. And we've talked a lot about, you know, living in a patriarchy and, and how all medical tests were done, all, all studies were done on men and then just blanketly, you know, yeah. So, oh yeah, women are exactly the same as men because they came from Adam's rib. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, that's the puritanical kind of bullshit that came from. I mean, you're in the Pacific Northwest. It's very religious up there. I grew Not up in, in Rich Portland. I grew up in Richland, Washington. There's a Richland. church on every Is that corner. The center of the Tri Cities. State? No, no, no. So oh. it's like near Hermiston. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, southeast corner right on the border, the Oregon border, okay. uh, the, the gorge. Oh, the gorge. Okay. Yeah. So the gorge, the Columbia gorge is mm -hmm. really, you know, you can get there pretty easy. So church in every corner, a lot of, a lot of the puritanical kind of, mm -hmm. you know, stuff, but I digress. <laughs> what? Um... <laughs> well, and I think it goes back to the idea that even pregnancy gets, it gets medicalized. And so if we can be convinced that there's something wrong with us, that we need to seek external solutions. And by the way, they're providing the external so solutions for just $49.95 a month. You know, I mean, yeah. it doesn't do us any good to believe that there's, there are things wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with us. Right. Not at all. Not at all. And that's, that's the thing in menopause is that women, there's just, it's, it's so disruptive for so many women and it doesn't have to be. Mm -mm. And for me, it was super disruptive and I didn't understand why I gained all that weight. And mm -hmm. I was like, I, I don't want to live like this. And all my colleagues said I had to suffer through it. And I was like, um, no. And that's why, you know, I, I was looking for a course. I, I, I went online. I'm like, okay, somebody has got to have a course mm -hmm. and I couldn't find one. 
and I mean, I think there's more now, but you know, we I've got a course now that that really does help women, and you know, the whole mission of the menopause movement is to help wi- ease the suffering of women going through mm-hmm. menopause. I mean, that's that's our that's our key statement. That's the business mm-hmm. we're really in, easing suffering. And if that's the case, then you know, when we start to really understand it, I mean, a, the biggest part of it, I think, is knowledge that this is normal and you're not alone, and you're you know, everyone's going to go through it, mm-hmm. and depending on how we choose to treat our bodies, we can make it a little bit easier and a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of things, you know, I, that's food, you know. And and so when you come back to reclaiming the faith in your body with the five mm-hmm. essentials that you mm-hmm. teach, right? That's the same thing. I mean, when you start, it feels like so. What we don't, you know, we get the talk, right? We get the talk with puberty, but we don't get the talk with menopause, and it really can be very disruptive. And so here, that's why the menopause movement exists, because I'm going to say, look, you know, you're going to have a change here, but it doesn't have to be the end of your life. It can be the new beginning. So let's talk about these, your five essentials of balance, choose, connect, move, and nourish. So these are really the foundational naturopathic tenets that are formulated in a system that matches my brain. And while I believe that food is important, that's the nourish section with food, hydration, and supplementation, I want to take the emphasis off it because that's really what I've seen over the years is patients coming into me totally anxious, totally stressed out, not being able to eat anything because this practitioner told them to not eat that and this practitioner told them the other and it just cumulatively built up to they can't eat anything. So I acknowledge that it's important and I want it to take a back seat to all of the other things. And so the move section is active movement, which is moving your body. I like to use movement versus exercise because I think it's less stressful. And then there's the passive section. That's where lymphatic drainage, massage, hydrotherapy come in because it increases circulation, increases immune function but you're not physically moving your musculoskeletal system. So that's nourish and move. Choose is how you live your life. Your chemical exposures, your sleep, prioritizing quantity and quality, your translating your values to your calendar. It's all really how you're setting your life up. Are you living in a crazy cluttered space? Have you really chosen to design your space in a way that makes you feel safe and comfortable? Kind of leading into that nervous system piece the balance. If we're always in parasympathetic nervous system, go, 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 fight or flight, respond, threat, etc., we're paying attention to our brain and our muscles, not our core. When we can switch towards that parasympathetic safety versus the parasympathetic overwhelm, but the safety when we can really emphasize the digest, absorb, detoxify, and eliminate. So that's our nourish, our move, our choose, our balance, and then connect is the relationship with self with others, and with something greater. That Mm. something greater doesn't have to be religion. It can be humanity, nature, social justice. But we must feel as though we're a very tiny part of something bigger. And we can't have physical health without mental, emotional, spiritual health. So it's all connected. That's great. I love that. That's just so calming. (laughs) We're all human beings. You know, I think that when we can oversimplify and overemphasize any one aspect of our being without taking into account the fact that we're spider webs and that everything is connected. Yeah. You know, using this last year as an example, I worry more about the mental, emotional well being of those of us around the world 
as much as I do the physical mm-hmm. because of isolation. And yeah, people are feeling really isolated. And you talk about movement, and you know, our, the human body is meant to move, yes. and we've created a society where we tend to sit. And yes. you know, they say the sitting is the new smoking. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that I really like is there, there's a woman by the name of Myrna Valerio, and I can't remember. She wrote a book. She's a plus size athlete, and she wrote this book, and it, it became the Kindle first reads mm-hmm. and she got, she, she already had a following, mm-hmm. but now like she's an influencer because yeah. of, the, you know, because of this yeah. and she's got, she had a whole bunch of deals and it's just been really beautiful to watch her because she's like, I don't want to lose weight. I just like to move, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what I, I can't, I want to remember. I see if I remember the name of my I mean, name of her book because it, it's really a, a, a great, a great book. Go ahead. And we're all individuals so that there are some of us for whom more gentle movement, swimming, hiking, walking, yoga, tai chi is the perfect movement. There are others for whom that high intensity, you know, more extreme works super well. And again, it's about learning to tune in. Oh, how do I feel rather than applying anyone's external rules? I love that. What type of movement feels good for me? What type of movement doesn't wipe me out so much that I need a nap or get a migraine, right? Like it, it really, it's individualized, just like the food, the nervous system. Yeah. I'm the type of person I like pushing myself. And so I'll, I'll go for long runs and, you know, I've done centuries on my bike before that means a hundred miles. And, uh, you know, and now I just train, I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether I, you know, I'll run and, and I was swimming for a while, but I, I'm afraid to go to the gym. <laughs> Still, you know, so I, I just work out at home. But yep. uh, that book is called A Beautiful Work in Progress by Myrna Valerio. And mm. it's a collection of essays really ab- around what it's like to move and be a big woman. Mm-hmm. And it's been it, it was it was really beautiful. And she at the end of it, she put a like a when a keynote or something and just talking about how our bodies are meant to move. And mm-hmm. so I think it's a really great perspective for someone who maybe doesn't move. Yeah. And often people don't move because there is that external expectation of what movement should look like or what going to a gym should look like. And I have uh, a patient currently where I'm encouraging her on the hour to get up and do laps in her home. That's where we're starting. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to require a membership or, or fancy equipment. It can get to that if that's what feels good, but it doesn't have to. I think, you know, there's that expectation that it just has to be this big thing and it it doesn't have to be this big thing. We can move so that it feels good. We can stretch. We can run up and down the stairs because it feels good to just get a little bit of of heat built up. And and it just depends on that reward base rather than, oh, that was too much and now I'm paying for it. Right. I mean, every once in a while I do. I mean, I won't say every once in a while. It's pretty common, actually, that I, I... I, I talk myself out of my workouts until late in the day because I'm afraid they're going to hurt or, you know, and it's, it's all, it's not, none of it's real because I always feel better afterwards. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really interesting. I have a friend who lost over a hundred pounds by just, she started by just getting up and swaying back and forth, mm-hmm. swaying her, moving her body. And so it, it movement, I think movement has to feel good to us. And if you're somebody who has been sitting on the couch for a long time and, you know, maybe for the whole pandemic and, and whatever, then mm-hmm. just standing up and moving, you know, swaying back and forth or whatever, it, there is no expectation. So 
the one thing I want you to do is really check the story that you're telling yourself because we're going to do whatever our subconscious tells us to do. Yes. That's the main thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I tell my dad all the time, don't just sit there watching TV in your recliner all day. Even if you're convinced that you want to watch TV all day, that's your choice. If you don't want to go outside for a walk, but march in place, there's like, mm -hmm. just, just move, just hang out and sway in the breeze. Like, I just want you to move. I don't want any stagnation day in and day out. Yeah, I love that. Some of my patients hula hoop in their living rooms. Fun. You yeah, know, I, anything, just yeah. dance, turn up the radio and dance. Just that's great. move in a way that feels good. Uh, that's the best way to start for sure. And and maybe even the best way to continue. Yeah. So was there anything else you were hoping to share that we didn't get to? No, I think we've covered all the important things. That's great. Where can people find you? My website is drwendyleewhite.com and Lee is spelled L-E-I-G-H. And from there, you can find me elsewhere on all the social media platforms. I have a YouTube channel with a bunch of videos, all of that. But my website's the best place to start. Great. Well, Dr. White, thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement today. We're going to definitely hook up your website in the show notes and, and get you on there. And who knows? I, I think we're now, I think we're into end of April already, Fine. but we'll let you know. We'll let you know when, when it's uh, going to be released, but thanks so thanks much. So much. Great. This was fabulous. I appreciate it. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life, and to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. And I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Thank you.